Good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? I could tell you guys were all on time uh, for once, so that must mean that you got here for the 9 o'clock service, right? <laughs> so uh, we lost an hour of sleep last night. I'm actually a little jazzed up right now because I had some coffee this morning, then I had an energy drink because I was struggling sluggish. But now it's all kicking in, so you get the fun chuck this morning. Hey, before we dive into the sermon, just a couple things. I know we already went over most of this in the announcements, but I do want to remind you that next Sunday, service starts at 10 a.m. It's going to be our celebration Sunday where we're finishing financial peace. Uh, We want to celebrate all that God has done over these nine weeks. And following that service, we will have a meal together here, right here at the school, provided you don't need to bring anything. Everything is going to be set up for you. Uh, It's going to be a great time for us to just get together, hang out a little bit and enjoy some fellowship. The following Sunday, we're also having service, 10 a.m., right, from here on out. Service is at 10 a.m., and that is what? Easter Sunday. Easter is a big day. So in preparation for Easter Sunday, you'll notice in your bulletin there's an invitation in there. We would love for you to be praying right now and thinking about and already inviting the person that you are going to bring with you on Easter Sunday. Notice I say didn't say the person you're going to invite. I said the person you're going to bring with you on Easter Sunday. Uh, We want you to be bringing someone with you that doesn't have a church home. Maybe it's looking for a church home, or maybe they never go to church. We would love for you to bring them. We're going to be starting a brand new series. Now, in preparation for Easter, we did this last year. I want to do it again. We probably need to do it more often. If you would, go ahead. Everybody stand up. Everybody stand up. Now, if you're a visitor, you don't have to do this, but you can stay standing up because we don't want that weird, awkward moment where everybody's looking around like, oh, I know where the visitors are. So everyone go ahead and raise your right hand. Members of regular attenders, raise your right hand and say, I am a greeter. greeter. All right. One more time like you mean it. I am a greeter. All right. Here we go. One, two, three. I am a greeter. There we go. Excellent. So go ahead and have a seat. Here's what that means. That doesn't mean you're going to get a name tag and a stack of bulletins to hand out. What it means is that we would love for you to, as you're coming into worship service, look for someone that maybe you don't recognize or maybe you've only met a few times, maybe you've never seen them before. Introduce yourself, make them feel welcome, do everything you can to make them feel welcome. One of the things we often hear from our visitors is how warm and welcoming the people of River Rock Bible Church are, and we want that to continue. So in order for that to happen, Some things may have to change in your routine because I can always tell where the visitors are because they're in here when service starts, right? (laughs) Right? Let's just be honest. You're in here when service starts. Uh, Our members and regular attenders straggle in a little bit. Maybe you're caught up at the coffee. So I want to encourage you as a greeter because you are a... No, say it like you mean it. I am a... As a greeter, we want to encourage you to be here a little bit early so that you can welcome those new faces, that you can welcome people, that this is their first time here. Imagine if you came to a brand new church, first time there, and you walked in and you and your family were the only ones in the room. How welcome would you feel? How excited would you be to come back the next Sunday, right? We want everyone to feel welcome. We want everyone to be excited here. So you are all officially greeters. You've been sworn in. Uh, consider yourself a greeter. Uh, I just also want to say, you know, worship is not just what happens in this room. Worship doesn't start when the music starts. It doesn't start when the preaching starts. Worship is something that starts the minute you drive into that parking lot. 
and you begin to fellowship with one another. You begin to have conversations and ask how things are going and greet one another. Scripture says greet each other with a holy kiss. We're going to let you just settle for a handshake, all right? Uh, so we would love for you guys. Next week we start at 10. Try to be here 5, 10 minutes early. Look for someone you don't know. Introduce yourself. Make sure they feel welcome. But as I said, next week is Celebration Sunday. We're coming to the end of our Financial Peace University journey. We're coming to the end of this financial discipleship journey. And I don't know about you guys, but really the end of this is really just the beginning. This was not meant to just be a nine weeks and we're done kind of a thing. This is really the beginning of our journey. How many of you guys like starting new things? You get excited when you start new things. I think most of us do. Most of us get pretty excited when something new comes up, and, and sometimes it's that starting where the excitement is, but it's that long journey, that sustaining momentum that's a little bit more difficult. Think about graduation. Graduation is fun, man. You get to have parties. You get to go on to the next stage of your life, but then you have to start a job. Not so much fun anymore, is it? There is no summer vacation, you know, three-month break when you're starting a job. It's all year long. Uh, think about starting a new job. Starting a new job is a lot of fun, but then after a short phase, there's all the work that comes along with your new job. Marriage. Wedding day is a lot of fun, right? You have a big party. You, you see family that you've never seen before. Everybody shows up. It's great. The wedding day is a lot of fun. But marriage can sometimes be a little hard work. It's not so much fun anymore. The honeymoon's over. Making babies. Making babies is a lot of fun when you're married, right? Can I get an amen on that? Yeah, making babies is a lot of fun. But parenting is hard. It's hard to be a parent. Yeah, I got an amen on that one. (laughs) It's hard to be a parent. Starting things is fun. It's that sustaining the journey that makes it a little bit more difficult. And as I said, we're coming to the end of our nine-week financial discipleship course, Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University. Uh, and, and we've seen God do some incredible things. We've seen families that are doing budgets for the first time. Some of you have said, hey, I'm giving for the first time in my life. Uh, some of you have seen other things happen, uh, you know, small things that that to most people seems small, but the way you've seen God provide throughout this financial journey as we learn to handle God's money, God's way, it's amazing to see some of the things that we're actually seeing. But this is just the beginning. This is just the beginning. This was never meant to just be a nine-week course, check the box, I did my my budget for two months, and now I'm done. We want this to be a life-changing experience. And really, uh, this has never been about money. This has never been about money. This has been about learning to put God at the center of our lives in every area of our life. It's been discipleship. We want to learn how to focus and keep God at the center of our lives in every single thing that we do, including our finances, including our finances. Next week, we're going to have the celebration, uh, and we don't want people to just go back to life as it used to be, because that's easy. We want this to have been a life-changing experience. We have a great vision for River Rock Bible Church to go into our community, give every man, woman, and child repeated opportunities to see, hear, and respond to the life-changing reality of Jesus Christ. We have a vision in five years to 
by the fall of 2020 to be sending out a church plant from River Rock Bible Church. We have a vision to partner with other churches to continue to plant more churches. We have a vision to send out missionaries. We have a vision to do backyard Bible clubs. We have a vision to be able to give our community groups money to have backyard, uh, to have block parties. We have a vision to do all these things to reach every man, woman, and child in Georgetown and through the ends of the earth. But the reality is we cannot do these things when we are, as a church family, $1.8 million in debt. That's what we came up with. 78 adults going through Financial Peace University, $1.8, almost $1.9 million in debt. We are not free to do the things that God calls us to do when we're in debt. We want to be able to go and to do and to give and to serve whenever God calls, however God calls. And so we've been going through this series, Life Unlimited. We want our life to be lived unlimited with the potential for the kingdom of God so that other people can experience life unlimited in Jesus Christ. They can know what it's like to have eternal life. And so we began this journey, and uh, what I love about this journey is that nobody ever starts something thinking, how quickly can I screw this up, right? Nobody starts a new job thinking, you know, I wonder how quickly I can get fired and compromise my integrity and the integrity of this company. Nobody does that. Nobody begins uh, a marriage thinking, you know, I wonder how fast I can get divorced, unless you're a celebrity, right? And then it's like 24 hours. But nobody sets out to start something thinking, how quickly can I mess this thing up? How quickly can I fall away? And here's the reality. Uh, we're all going to mess this up, right? I know, I should have been a motivational speaker. Uh, we are all going to fail. We're all going to fail, and it's okay. Because we're going to see this morning how we sustain that momentum, even in those times when we fail. We're going to first look at Exodus chapter 36. We're going to see a principle from Scripture. We're going to flip over to Hebrews chapter 12. And then we're going to see a path that God provides us for sustaining that momentum. So go ahead and open to Exodus chapter 1. We're going to start, or Exodus 36. We're going to start in verse 1. And just a little bit of background, you've got to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 12. In Genesis chapter 12, God shows up, appears to a man named Abram, and he says, Abram, I'm calling you and your family to go. I don't, I'm not going to tell you where, just go. And through you, I'm going to bless all the nations of the earth. And so Abram, eventually his name gets changed to Abraham. Abraham goes, and he follows God. He doesn't know where he's going, but he obeys. He follows God. And eventually his descendants end up in Egypt. We read the story of Joseph a few weeks ago. Joseph's family ends up in Egypt, and a while passes, the, the king raises up that doesn't know Joseph or his family, and so the Israelites end up enslaved for 400 years. And they cry out to God. They cry out to God, and God raises up Moses to deliver them. And they leave Egypt, and they're out in the desert, and God says, look, I made all these promises to to Abraham, and I'm keeping my promise. I told Abraham if he would just keep me at the center of his life, I would take care of him. Abraham did it. Abraham did a great job. Uh, Now I'm making the same promises to you. If you will just keep me at the center of your life, I will take care of you. I will take care of you. And so God sends Moses up on the mountain for 40 days to receive the Ten Commandments. And while he's up there... The people of Israel say, hey, God says he's supposed to be at the center of our life, but we can't see God, so we're going to make a God that we can see. And so they bring their rings and necklaces and bracelets and buttons, 
all the gold that they could find and they throw it into this pot and they melt it down and they make a golden calf and they say, okay, here is our God. And Moses comes down with the Ten Commandments. You guys remember the movie, Charlton Heston comes down and he's angry and he slams them on the ground, right? They break. He's angry because they've disobeyed God. For 40 days, they couldn't last without a tangible presence, image, something that represented God. So eventually the time comes after God gives the law. He says, hey, I'm going to give you the law so that you will know how to keep me at the center of your thought life, how to keep me at the center of your work life, and how to keep me at the center of your family life. I'm going to be at the center of everything. And since you guys are having such a hard time without a physical representation of my presence, I'm actually going to give you my presence on earth. Moses, I want you to build the tabernacle. Some places it's called the sanctuary or the tent of meeting. Later in the New Testament, we're going to have the temple, right? After Solomon builds the temple, God's presence physically on earth and and something that represents his presence, a physical object that represents his presence to the people so that they could remember God is with us. God is with us. We've got to keep him at the center of our lives. God is with us. And so God gives the command to build this sanctuary, to build this tabernacle, and it requires gold and silver and all these expensive items that they need to build it. And this is what happens in, verse, in chapter 36, verse 1. Bezalel, Aholiab, and this, all the skilled people are to work based on everything the Lord commanded. The Lord has given them wisdom, understanding, to know how to do all the work of constructing the sanctuary. So Moses summoned Bezalel, Aholiab, and every skilled person in whose heart the Lord placed wisdom, everyone whose heart moved him to come to work and to do it. They took from Moses' presence all the contributions that the Israelites had brought for the task of making the sanctuary. Meanwhile, the people continued to bring freewill offerings morning after morning. Then all the craftsmen were doing all the work for the sanctuary came one by one from the work they were doing and said to Moses, These people are bringing more than is needed for the construction of the work the Lord commanded to be done. Now get this, they are doing the Lord's work what God has called them to do, and now the workmen are saying, we have more than enough. We have more than enough. It blows me away what happens next. It blows me away. Look at this. Verse 6. After Moses gave an order, they sent a proclamation throughout the camp. Let no man or woman make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. So the people stopped. The materials were sufficient for them to do all the work. There was more than enough. First, first principle that we're going to see this morning is that God supplies uh, more than enough, more than enough to sustain us. God gives us more than enough to sustain us. Now think about what's happening in this story. Think about what's happening throughout the people of Israel. God has given them a command. I want you to do this. And everyone comes and they bring so much that Moses has to tell them to stop. Imagine if that were us. Imagine if one of the elders had to stand up here one Sunday and say, hey guys, um, we're going to need you to keep your wallets closed because the bank called and they said our bank account is full and we can't take any more money. Imagine if, if I were just able to stand up here and say, hey guys, uh, I know some of you really want to serve, but our, our setup team is full, our teardown team is full, our AV team is full, our children's ministry is full, our connections team is full, our worship team is full, there's nowhere else to serve, you need to stop serving. 
Like, we're going to have to stop people from serving. Imagine if that were the case. Imagine if we were seeing so many people invested in the gospel that we said, hey, look, our room is full. Uh, We're just going to have to figure something out because we can't take any more people in the room right now. Imagine what God could do if we gave our time, our talents, our treasure, and our testimony to honor Him. If we made Him the center of our lives, what would that be like? How awesome would that be? Imagine how many churches we could plant. Imagine how many backyard Bible clubs we could host, missionaries we could send out, families whose lives we could change, marriages that could be restored if we would simply put God at the middle. And what I love about this story is these people didn't have to go out and get second jobs to be able to bring all this stuff in. Everything that they're bringing is stuff that they already had. They already had this. God had already supplied it. And I think if we were to take a step back from our lives and look around and see what God has given us, that we would see that God has given us more than enough. More than enough to sustain us, more than enough to complete the work that He's given us to do. But at times it may mean choosing not to do something else. You may feel like, I don't have time to serve, I'm too busy. Well, when we ask you to serve, we're not asking you to add something to your plate. What we're actually asking is that you remove something from your plate. Maybe little Johnny doesn't need to be on 10 travel baseball teams, right? Take something off your plate to make room for what God would have you do. When we ask you to get to know your neighbors, we say, hey, go into your neighborhood, get to know your neighbors, spend time with them. That may mean that you sacrifice your two hours on the couch watching Netflix every evening to go out and invest in your neighbors. When, you, when it comes to giving, it may be that God says, hey, I want you to give towards this mission, towards this church plant, towards this church. I want you to give here. That may mean that your restaurant budget gets cut a little bit or vacation gets cut a little bit because God has already given us everything we need to be sustained. Hebrews Uh, As we flip over there, uh, I just want us to to think about this, that Jesus says, to whom much is given, much is expected. And if we're completely honest with ourselves as Americans, we live in the wealthiest nation in the world. Uh, And I, I just can't imagine us one day getting to heaven and saying, you know, God, we weren't able to, to do the work you were telling us to do because we didn't have the money. Because we just didn't have enough. To me, that's, that's unfathomable. God has already given us everything we need to sustain us and to be a part of his mission. Because to me, one of the most exciting things is that God desires for his people to be a part of his work. He could very well choose to do all the work that he desires to do by himself. He does not need us but he wants us to be a part of it because he has something for us. There's something that happens when we participate in the work of God. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 1. And what we're going to begin to see here is the path that God has for us. God has given us a path. Chapter 12, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, 
Let us lay aside every weight and sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that lay before him endured the cross and despised the shame and sat down at the right hand of God's throne. The first thing that we have to keep in mind as we look at this path, how do we sustain this momentum is this. We have to remember what God has done. We have to remember what God has done. Now, here's what I love about Hebrews chapter 12. It comes right after Hebrews 11. You didn't think I was that smart, did you? (laughs) Hebrews 11, if you know the passage, you know this is the hall of faith. We read about these great men and women of faith from the Old Testament who believed God. They had faith in God. Men like Abraham who left everything and followed God to a land where he didn't know God was leading him. Men like Moses who stood before Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world, and demanded, let these people go. Men like David who stood before a giant with nothing but a sling and a stone. And then at the end of chapter 11, we read this. All these were approved through their faith, but they did not receive what was promised. Think about that. Think about that for a second. Abraham didn't get to live to see his descendants become a great nation. He didn't get to live to see the possession of the land. Moses didn't get to live to see the people possess the land that God had promised them. David didn't get to live to see an heir sit on his throne for all eternity. They didn't get the promises that they made, that they were made. But let's keep looking at verse 40. Since God had provided something better for us so that they would be made so that they would not be made perfect without us. God has provided something better for us. God has provided something better than all the promises that he made. And I think it's interesting that when I read these verses, what I hear from from the writer is this, that your faith, those of you who live after Jesus, your faith is greater and better than those who lived before Christ. Your faith is better. And that blows my mind because when I think about men like Abraham and Moses and David and Rahab, the spy, my faith doesn't, doesn't even begin to compare to theirs, the things that they did. And yet I'm told my faith is better. It's better because I've got someone who's gone before me who's modeled that faith perfectly. We've got Jesus Christ who gives us the perfect example of what that means to model. He was the fulfillment of all the promises to those people in the Old Testament. And so our faith is better because we get to see that fulfillment. We get to experience that life change. We get to see what it's like to have someone set a perfect example. And as I said earlier, as we think about our Financial Peace University journey or whatever journey God has you on, what you have to realize is that at some point you will fail. There's going to come the day when it's Sunday afternoon, you want to eat, but you're tired, your wife's tired, the kids are hungry, and all you have at home is sandwiches because you don't get paid till Tuesday. And you're going to say, you know what? I don't want to go home and eat a sandwich. We're going to Hat Creek. We'll just, we'll, we'll blow the budget this one time. We'll catch it up later. Or there's going to be that vacation that you really, really want to take. And oh man, here comes a Groupon into your email. I don't have the cash right now, 
but I can run my credit card and we can take this vacation. I deserve this vacation and I'll pay it off later. And you go on that vacation. There are going to be times that you fail. But what's important is not that you fail because we will all fail. That's called being human, right? Is everybody here human? Please raise your hand if you are. All right, good. I think we checked for perfect cards on the way in and nobody had one, so that's why you're all here. We turned all the perfect people away. None of us are perfect. We're all going to fail. And what I love about these verses in Hebrews is that they remind us, we have to remember that we are not perfect, but Jesus is. And if our faith is in Jesus Christ, we don't have to try to be perfect because through faith in him, God has already made us and declared us perfect. He declares us righteous. When God looks at us, he no longer sees our failing. He no longer sees our sin. He sees the perfection of Jesus Christ simply by trusting in him. And when we think about that and when we remember that, that keeps us from saying, well, we're all going to fail at some point, so I may as well just go out and get that new Corvette that I want. May as well just rack up $100,000 in credit card debt because, hey, we're all going to fail. Just pass it on to my kids. No, when we see the example of Jesus and we remember what he's done for us and that he has made us perfect, that inspires us and encourages us to live in a way that honors him, to live in a way that brings him glory, that brings him more recognition for the kingdom. The next thing we're going to see is this, that we have an opportunity every single day to choose whether or not we're going to remember. And as we remember, we also are faced with that choice to obey. We also have to obey what God is saying. That's the second part of this path. First, we have to remember what God has done through Jesus Christ, and that inspires us. Then we have to obey what he is saying. We have to obey what he is saying. In verse 1 of Hebrews 12, it talks about the race. Let us run the race. And the idea there is that this is not a sprint. This is a marathon. Uh, It describes... A race, a contest with a struggle, agony, grueling conflict. Now, I've run a couple marathons in my life, uh, and I've done a couple half marathons, and I can tell you that grueling conflict and agony pretty much describe how you feel at the end of a marathon. This is a long race. I love the way Eugene Peterson puts it. He says, This is long obedience in the same direction. Long obedience in the same direction. So you have to wake up every single day and make the decision, am I going to obey God today? And really, it's a moment-by-moment thing, not just with our finances. Yes, we have to ask, okay, God, God, I'm going to obey you in my budget today. Give me the strength to obey. Lord, it's the end of the month. I know I need to do a new budget for next month. Lord, help me to obey. God, I, I know you want me to share the gospel with my coworker. Help me to obey. Right? We're faced with that decision as to whether or not we're going to obey in many different areas of our life. And we have to obey what God is saying. And what I love is that it's so much easier to obey when you have an example, right? Think about the movie Cars. The great theologian Disney gives us a great example of this in the movie Cars. Lightning McQueen ends up in this little bitty town, Radiator Springs. He does some damage. Uh, can you tell I have five-year-olds at my house? Uh, He does some damage to the town, and so he gets impounded, and the judge says, hey, you're going to have to repair everything. Well, Lightning doesn't like that. He wants to go out and race, so he tries to take off, and they catch him, 
And Hudson, the judge in the town, says, I'll tell you what, if you race me and beat me, then I'll let you go. You're free to go. But if I win, then you do the community service. And so Lightning agrees. I mean, he's got this, you know, 1950s looking car that's all beat up. There's no way he can beat Lightning McQueen, the fastest car that is. And so they go out to this dirt track and they start, they start their engines. The flag drops and Lightning takes off. And Hudson is just sitting there watching. And everybody's yelling, go, come on, go, you got to catch him. And he says, no, just wait. And first turn that Lightning comes to, man, he spins out and he goes off into the ditch. And Hudson very slowly makes his lap. And he says, come on, Mater, let's get him. So they go and they get him. And later in the movie, Lightning McQueen finds out that Hudson is actually Hudson the Hornet. The race car that's won more Piston Cups than any race car. He's won more races in a single season than any other race car. And he begins to have this respect for Hudson. And he, he wants to learn from him. And Hudson says, okay, let's go out to the track. And he says, let me tell you the secret to making that left turn. To go left, you have to turn right. Turn right to go left. And Lightning is like, that doesn't make any sense. That's the exact opposite of what I would think. I don't know if I can trust you. But he can trust him, and he does trust him. Why? Because he knows Hudson the Hornet has been there before. Hudson the Hornet has run that race before and succeeded. He's got an example of someone who's gone before. We have the exact same thing in Jesus Christ. We have one who has run the race with perfection, one who lived his life in complete obedience to God, even to the point of death. And it says that he considered it a joy. He considered it a joy, not that going to the cross was a good thing. In fact, you could turn on the History Channel probably about this time is when they start showing these things, but you can read and hear and learn about the crucifixion, that it was the absolute worst way to die. Why would an innocent man who's done nothing wrong, committed no crimes, be willing to receive the, the worst punishment? And then it says that he considered it a joy. It was a joy because he knew that the temporary pain that he was going to go through was nothing compared to the joy that he would experience in the presence of God and in seeing lives changed. People receiving eternity through his sacrifice. We have an opportunity for the same thing. When we make small sacrifices, we, we may feel pain for a while, but we get to experience the joy of seeing God use us to do his work to change people's lives. And that brings us to the last point, which is that we have to hope in what God will do. We have to hope in what God will do. Jesus considered going to the cross a joy because he had hope in what God was going to do. We can make the small sacrifices in our life with our time, our talents, our treasure, even taking that step to share our grace story of how Jesus has changed our life. And there may be some temporary pain, but it does not compare to the joy that God desires for us to experience when we obey him, when we follow what he's telling us to do. We're at the end of our Life Unlimited series, and uh, this has been a great journey for my family. I hope it's been a great journey for your family. And I want us to think for just a moment about what God could do. But before we think about what God could do, let's talk a little bit about where we've been as a church. River Rock Bible Church is only two and a half years old, and I just want to share some of the things that we have seen happen 
in and through the people of River Rock Bible Church. A few years ago, uh, last year, last spring, I think, we did a series called Generosity, and we said, hey, we're going to do a one-time offering to give to this family that's traveling overseas to do missions work. They're over there right now. And in one Sunday, this church raised over $5,000 to send a family overseas to tell men, women, and children about Jesus Christ. Give a Family Christmas is something we've done for the last three years. We've typically adopted one family and provided them presents and food and household items that they would need, without which they would have absolutely nothing on Christmas. This last year, we actually adopted two families. So in three years, this church has given over $6,000 in gifts, foods, and household items to help families who have absolutely nothing. We had a garage sale last uh, spring, I think it was, or last fall. We had a garage sale, and we raised over $4,200 to help a family that was about to be evicted out of their home. Talk about life-changing. Talk about changing someone's life when you can help them avoid eviction. Many of you may or may not know this, but we actually sponsor uh, Scott Ryan, who's not with us today. You can normally find him in the back. He, he works on our AV team. Not feeling well today, but Scott Ryan is the director of Young Life here in Georgetown, and we support him as a church. And so because of the support that we're able to give Scott and we're able to give Young Life, listen to some of the things that are happening. There are 700, over 700 high school students here in Georgetown who are known by name and they are prayed for Every week, 700 high school students, 75 of those students show up every week and hear the gospel story presented, and they're invited to put their trust in Jesus Christ. This year, 42 high school students will have the opportunity to go to camp and experience Jesus Christ in a way they've never experienced him before. Young Life also does some work on Southwestern campus, and right now they have 55 college students in small groups who are studying scripture and their lives are being changed. And not only that, they also have a ministry to teenage moms. And there's about a dozen teenage moms who are hearing the word of the Lord. They're hearing about faith in Jesus Christ because of what you as River Rock Bible Church are doing to support Scott Ryan and Young Life. Also, in the next two weeks, Easter Sunday, we are launching a new church plant. We partnered with five other churches We had a financial commitment. I've given some of my time, and I've only been able to give my time because other people have stepped up and taken other stuff off my plate. So it's not just money, but time. We're launching a brand new church plant right here in greater Austin area over in Leander, Renovate Church, because of the faithfulness, because of what people of River Rock Bible Church have done. We've seen families get connected to to the church, some for the first time in a long time, and some for the first time ever in their lives are coming to church because of you, because of what you're doing. We've seen marriages restored. We've seen men, women, and children putting their trust in Jesus Christ. These are the things that God has already done. He did these things through us when we, as a a collective body, the 78 people going through FPU were $1.8 million in debt. Now imagine what God will do when we're debt-free. And not just debt-free, but when we begin to free up our time, and we begin to free up our talents, and we begin to say, God, we want to put you at the center of our lives. Imagine how many churches we could plant. The elders, just this last week, we approved a five-year church planting plan that by the fall of 2020, we would be sending out a church planter and families from this church to plant another church somewhere 
in the greater Austin area so that more men, women, and children can hear about Jesus Christ and experience life change through him. We have a vision to send out missionaries. We have a vision that we would be able to do more backyard Bible clubs, that we would be able to give our community groups money and say, hey, go throw a block party and reach your neighbors so that more men, women, and children can experience the life-changing reality of Jesus Christ. I believe that all of these things are possible. Our vision is to go into our community and give every man, woman, and child repeated opportunities to see hear and respond to the life-changing reality of Jesus Christ, I believe that if we as a church, River Rock Bible Church, would put God at the center of our lives in every area, that that would be a reality within our lifetime. That every man, woman, and child in Georgetown would be able to hear the gospel in our lifetime. It's 52,000 people now, more moving every day. It's higher, 55, getting up there. But I believe that we could do that in our lifetime. God doesn't hold us responsible for the conversions. That's between God and the person. But we could have the conversation. We could share Jesus with every single person in Georgetown. As especially if we, man, as we partner with other like-minded ministries and churches. Whew, imagine what God could do through his people when their lives are unlimited in every way. This journey of financial peace is much more than just financial discipleship. It's been about putting God at the center of your life in every area. Because we believe that wherever your hope is, whatever your hope is focused on, your time, talents, and treasure are going to follow that. Some people are putting their hope in success and recognition. And think about the sacrifices that you make. You sacrifice your time. You sacrifice things time away from your family and someday you're going to achieve that success and I'm, I'm, you're going to look back and wonder, was it worth it? And some people sacrifice their, their hope, their eyes are fixed on, the prize that they're fixed on is comfort and so the opportunity comes up, hey, we'd love for you to serve. No, I'm kind of busy. Or a promotion comes up, no, I kind of like where I am. I'm just going to be comfortable. And so they let things pass them up and they get to the end of their life and they look back and they wonder, wow, what could have been if I had just taken that step to be uncomfortable? Now imagine setting, fixing your hope, fixing your eyes on Jesus Christ as the ultimate prize. Yes, there may be some sacrifices, but I can guarantee you that every single one of those sacrifices will be worth it. Will be worth it. I want us to close this morning. I just want you to be thinking through, what is God calling me to do today? Think through, what is my prize right now that I'm focused on? Am I remembering what God has done? Am I obeying what He is saying? And what is my hope set on? What changes do I need to make to put God at the center of my life and fix my eyes on Him Let's pray. God, we thank you for this journey that we've been on. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who endured the cross, that we could be made perfect through faith in him. It it has nothing to do with how much we give to the church or how much we serve in the church or how good we are or how often we attend church. Lord, it depends on your son, Jesus Christ, that we are saved simply by trusting in him. 
Lord, help us to remember that in the moments when we fail, that you already view us as perfect through your Son, Jesus Christ. And let that be the very thing that inspires us to obey you in those moments when we begin to question whether or not it's worth it. With the hope of eternity with your Son and the hope of seeing others experience eternity in heaven with you be enough to inspire us to continue to obey. God, we believe that you have already provided more than enough to sustain us. You've provided more than enough time. You've provided more than enough talents. You've provided us with more than enough money. Just ask that you would help us put you at the center of our lives. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.